Okay, good evening. Welcome to the Unbroken Channel's Dampen Out podcast, episode eight. Yeah, I think we're at episode eight now already. Um, tonight, our spotlight guest is um, the uh, the nut job himself, the creator of the the nickname. It's uh, Trevor Bygate. Evening, Trev. Evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, nice to see you. Good evening, buddy. Yeah, it's nice to see us both. It's been a while since Vegas. Oh, yeah, it, it has. It's been too long, and it. We need to have a. I think we need. We need to have a bit of a, a meet at some point. We need to find somewhere just to get together and have a have a blowout. Um, yeah. I think everybody needs it. Yeah, it'd be a good idea to to sort of jack something up, wouldn't it? Yeah. Somewhere near. I think. I think. So. I think somewhere be. near the seaside, not too far. Bournemouth, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I've even, got, I've, I've even got the pool up in the garden. Too far from the seaside either, is it? I've got a, I've got a tent with built-in lights. That'll do. Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'll do. Why? Yeah, that's all good. So yeah, so tonight, obviously, Trev's going to be our our special guest. Um, Trev also has a podcast, it's the Nut Job Podcast, Chasing the Light, and I will drop a link to that in the description of this. Go check it out. It's very, very good, very moving, um, and he's had some brilliant guests on there so far. So, Trev. Um, if you want to just start by telling us about yourself and your how you started your military career. Yeah, so, um, my name's Trev. Um, I didn't want to join the army at first when I was when I was a kid. I wanted to be a professional footballer, uh, but you know, there's obviously very little kids get through to be a professional footballer out of the millions that try. Um, I did have a, I did actually have a couple of weeks trial at Newcastle United though when I was fifteen. Uh, when the manager was um, Jim, and- no, uh, what's Bald Eagle? What's he called? Jim Smith. Jim Smith. That was it. You, you, probably, you, you, probably, you probably dodged a bullet, mate. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then I, le- I left school, went to college to do a sport and leisure management because I wanted to do sport. And then I ended up getting to the age of twenty-one with, but I was married with kids at the age of twenty-one. And then I decided oh, I can't do this. I can't just be it. I've got to do something for security for the family, sort of thing. So I went to the Bishop Auckland Careers Office, signed up in there, um, and it was it was it was just a big it was a big decision. But I, I, it didn't seem to phase us at the time until I stepped into Winchester Main Gates and then I started the ship myself. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, and then obviously went to Winchester, did the basic training, uh, middle wallop because I was I joined the Army Air Corps. Um, I went in as ground crew to start off with. Um, finished the middle wallop, and then my first posting was Watsham in Suffolk. Uh, it was Links and Gazelle at the time, so I went into um, I I went to um, where did I go? I went to a it was a Links and a Gazelle squadron. Which was strange, mixed aircraft in the squadron. But I went into into six five four squadron, and um, we, it was just one day that um, the OC asked who wants to do a dogginess course, and I was like, "I'll do it. I'll do a dogginess course." So yeah, I went off to Middle Warlock and trained to be a rear crewman in a Lynx helicopter, um, and then I ended up going. I went to Bosnia as a dogginner in a in a in the Lynx. Uh, I think that was around about 2000 or 2001 sort of thing. So it was quieting down over there anyway. It was just a kid. That was about the time I, I was out. I was in Pristina 
2000, 2001? Yeah, yeah, because well, yeah, we were in uh, Book Me a Camp in Sarajevo. Oh, okay. Um, nice. And then we did, went all over the place. We were just, we were just a, a taxi for a brigadier, really. Because um, <laughs> one story, we went to um, Dubrovnik. Yeah, he had some sort of meetings out there. And uh, we flew him out to Dubrovnik and um, we, we thought we were going to have to fly straight back to Sarajevo and leave him there for the weekend, but he said he wanted us to stay. So we ended up parking the Lynx helicopter in the uh, Dubrovnik airport. We, we left my GPMG and pistols with the French Armoury that was on the at the airport. And then we ended up having a hotel for a couple of nights, going skinny dipping in the Adriatic Sea. Nice. <laughs> And and then and then I, I obviously I come back and uh, I played a lot of football in the army and um, I started to get like knee injuries and stuff like that so I, I I ruptured the cruciate ligament had three bouts of surgery on that um, and then I was back at Watersham trying to remember because it's some some of it you sometimes block it out but uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I mate, yeah. all good. Yeah, so yeah, so I finished at Watson, but I, I was I was injured at the time. I'd had, had surgery, so I went. The posted me up to Nine Reg, Dishworth. Remember Dishworth? It's just on the A1, just before Lehman. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went there, uh, but I went there injured, and I, and I and I and I hated the, f- the fact that I was injured and I couldn't get involved with the squadrons, sort of um, PT and exercises and stuff, and. I went on a nine-week rehab program at uh, Catrick, uh, the, at the the regional rehab centre there. And, um, I was I was on a trampoline and I ruptured my cruciate ligament for the second time in rehab. So I had another four surgeries on it. Um, and then I got to a point in my career where I was just injured, and I thought I can't I can't I can't do this. And luckily for me, I got offered a job in Germany. And it was just driving a general around. It was being his sort of like sidekick. And um, so that I, I sort of like said, well, uh, when I was out there, all I answered to was him. I didn't have a sergeant major. I didn't have an OC or nothing. He was just my direct boss. Um, so, yeah, I was there for like two years. And, uh, it was really good. Two years. Family loved it. Um, Chloe came to live with us for a for a year out there in Germany. Um, she loved it, got her into school and stuff like that. Um, and then I, I got to a point where I wanted to, I was a corporal at the time, so I wanted to get promoted. And, and, and I got told by the staff at Glasgow, the ones that decide who gets promoted and not, and stuff like that. They said, uh, if you want to get promoted, you've got to go back to an active unit. So I forced myself to get fit. I, I went and did a CFT in Germany, passed that. Passed me, P, uh, well, it was BPFA then, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and the, so after all my surgery and that, I forced myself and they upgraded me. And I went back to Watersham in Suffolk where I first started. But by that time, the Apache helicopter was in Watersham. So um, I went into a flying squadron um, just as, an, as a, an Apache. Well, I wasn't even an Apache basic trained. Um, I was I was I wasn't even trained on the Apache, and then so I had to go. Normally, when you go to Middle Wallop and do your Apache training, you do Apache basic. You have twelve months later, you do Apache advance, and twelve months later, you do Apache land and commander. But because I was already a corporal, 
which which meant I was, should be an Apache Lanham Point commander. I did everything within six weeks. I did basic. Two weeks later, I did advanced. Two weeks later, I did Lanham Point command Apache uh, ALPC. Uh, and then about 12 months later, I was, an, I was an assessor, so I was assessing and training all the lads on the Apache. Wow. Um, so that was good, learning how to teach them how to put rockets and missiles on and uh, yeah. fill up the third cannon and stuff like that can i just ask um, you as well trev so yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you got yourself you got yourself fit yeah well i i, I say it was fit I, I sort of pushed myself to make sure i was fit but did you but did you do that um did you have advice from anybody who were you doing that or did you just go do you know what i'm gonna do this because the reason i ask is yeah. you said that obviously you re-injured your knee while on a rehab course yeah yeah okay like you, I've got form there. It, it happened yeah. to me. Um, yeah. And and I remember, and I don't know if it would have been the same then, but I remember what annoyed me is when I was in pain and not wanting to push, you were yeah. almost sort of told the pain's all in your head. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, yeah. Need, you need to push through it. So yeah. did, did you find, do you think you were pushed a bit too hard during no, that rehab? Or was it just bad luck? Um, I think it was just bad luck because I was on a... Do you know them little round trampolines you used to do and you used to bounce on them, on your foot? And I was bouncing on it on one leg just to get your stability. And yeah, yeah. When I was when I bounced it on, on my uh, leg that I was getting rehab on, my, my knee just gave weight. Um, so um, the doctors, the colonel cortisone injection bumped straight in my knee and he's like oh you'll need surgery again so I was like oh cheers for that so I think um, yeah I, I had the surgery but in Germany I had nobody pushing me I had to push myself so and because I wanted to be fit going back to a unit um, I, I just organised a CFT with one of the PTIs in Germany and he took us out he got me through it and then I did the I did the mile and a half but i did it on a running machine um and then the press-ups and sit-ups as, as well and and stuff and then i, I got fully fit so i got I came back to watch um which i, I i'm pleased I, I i did um i mean what did i do when i got back to watch so i went into a flying squadron did all my apache courses and so on and so forth um got uh, got the and then I got promoted, sorry, to sergeant. Uh, and I got the job as an ammo sergeant in the flying squadron. So I was, I was in charge of all of the ammunition and stuff like that and the training of the ground crew and looking after them, uh, which was, it was, it was, it was good to have because you had, you had a lot of responsibility of all the human lads looking after their welfare and stuff like that. Um, sort of thrived on that. Um, then the, the, because the Apache, does a, a lot of exercises out in America. So I went out to America twice to Arizona, um, which is really, really, uh, the first time was amazing being in the, uh, in, a, in Arizona with the Apache and, in in you know, you, they, they fly out to the desert and they do dust land and stuff like that. And you, you get involved in all that, um, setting up the NATO T and landing points. And, um, yeah. So that was really good. Uh, come back, from America, then I went straight out to Afghan with um, the six six two squadron, I think it was. Um, and luckily, it was 
my squadron that Prince Harry was in when we were there. So um, obviously he did all the pre-deployment training with us before we went, flew out with us to Afghan. Um, and we'd only been out there a few days before, because no, normally when you go out to Afghan, you do like your rangers, and you do some firing to zero your weapon, and then you get given your weapon. And before we'd even been, um, before we'd even zeroed our weapon and got got uh, given rounds, that was when the Battle of Bastion happened. So it was when the Taliban uh, got through the checkpoints because Bastion, it have it had loads of different checkpoints all the way around the perimeter. But for, for some, I think they got a bit slack and it was only manned every other. Uh, checkpoint so the Taliban had been probably watching this for quite a while and then they decided this is our opportunity and they did get on and they destroyed seven American Harriers uh, Offspray they killed us, uh, the CEO of the Offspray um, unit killed a Marine and then I could just remember watching the Apaches and the Cobras circling around and you could see the fire that the, the the rain of rounds firing down um, which was it was pretty interesting uh, and yeah, it was a good tour. Uh, Harry was there. We got a fruit cake off him. Oh, I don't know where he got from. I got it from. I think. Did he? Did he? Did he get you? Yeah. An, did he get you a fruit? Did he get you an ice cream from that ice cream van that you ran off to? I know. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he he was out there. I think it was Princess Anna. Or someone must have sent him the fruit cake. Uh, but yeah, he brought it over yeah. and gave it to me. I think. Um, and then when did I come back? So I come back. It was I was there for Christmas and New Year in in Afghan, which was was great. We got loads of welfare parcels sent out, and that I was lucky enough to open a welfare parcel, and it had a mini bottle of wine in it. And obviously, you can't drink out there. But the ground support flight commander said to me, he "says Oh, you're the most." I was the oldest ground crew out there. He said, "Oh, I'll let you, I'll let you have it like that." So I had this little mini bottle of wine. I thought I was away with the fairies. I'm surprised, um, share, I'm surprised you tell anybody or share anybody with your tight gift. <laughs> no, I didn't share it. <laughs> uh, and then I came back from Afghan in Feb, February, I think it was February. Um, and then just went back to normal work. Well, obviously, you have a bit of time off, don't you, from coming back from tours and, and stuff like that, because we stopped off at um, Cyprus for 24 hours decompression. Yeah, because um, 24 hours is enough time to decompress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I had one bottle of wine. I was absolutely mortaled on one bottle of wine in Cyprus at Bloodhound Camp. But, uh, yeah, and I was ill on the back of the bus on the way to the next flight to come home. I think. But, yeah, it was nice to be met by the family when we got back in the in the squadron in the hangar. Uh, and then I just went back to normal work after that. Uh, I'm trying to think about it. Because sometimes I have memory blanks where I'm trying to think back. Um, and I, uh, yeah, so I went, so I went back out to another. I went on another exercise to America, to Arizona, and I, I thought, yeah, I, I went. I was a sergeant this time, so I was looking after all of the ammo, ammunition and stuff. And it's quite a, 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 not a stressful job, but it had a lot of pressure on you because you were accounting for every round and every rocket and every missile, and right. you know you, you were. And the lads to account for it when it's coming off the aircraft and coming on. And if the aircraft goes off and doesn't fire it on, you've got to make sure everything comes out of that aircraft because you don't want an Apache having a, an ND with a 30 mil. So, which did happen in Afghan at one point. 
I've been told. Um, so yeah, I was out. I was out in America um, doing my bit there as the ammo sergeant, and then um, obviously uh, one night I was in while I was in Arizona, I was FaceTime my wife Kerry. Um, we used to face because because we were on this little um, American Air Force base in Gila Bend. It was called. Um, and it was it was basically an emergency sort of camp for any uh, American aircraft because the because the range the ranges out there for the aircraft is in in Arizona desert is massive and if any of the aircraft have any technical issues they come and land it can come and land at Gila Bend to be repaired but right. a couple of but a couple of warthogs park park up when we were on there uh, we weren't allowed to take pictures of them or anything like that so yeah I was we were, but we stayed in accommodation. Um, and I was FaceTiming my wife, and um, uh, I was, there was one time I was FaceTiming, and the house phone started to ring. And um, I said, she said, "Oh, I'll leave it, leave it." And I says, "Oh, get it. It could be any anybody. It could be anybody." And she answered the she answered the phone while I was still FaceTiming, and I'm like, "I am you now, speaking to you, sort of thing." And then she just started to get tearful, and she hung up on me, sort of thing. And I I didn't know what was wrong. I was panicking and stuff like that. And then um, I sort of, um, yeah, so I, I got back. I got back in touch with her eventually after about 10 minutes. And she just, she, she just, she was in tears and she just said, it's Chloe, it's Chloe. And I said, oh, what's happened to her? You know, thinking that she's going to say she's oh, broke her leg or she's in hospital or something like that. You know, to hear my wife say that Chloe's dead was, 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 um, well, it was it was traumatic. It was life changing for me, um, you know. To think, to think like, you know, I'm 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 like what seven and a half thousand miles away from home, um, not being able to do anything, um, and not be there for her. And I and I and so I was I went I I, I, I ran out of the my room to knock on the sergeant major's door and I told him what had happened and um it was it was a, it was a big rush to get me back home so the um uh, the, the army did a, uh, a few things a, a little bit wrong you know when anything happens for any, with anybody abroad they normally used j triple c which is a, the, the compassion they didn't use that and they should have so they just uh, all I got all that happened to me was they got me took, took me to phoenix and just stuck me on a flight uh, to Heathrow, and I was stuck on a flight on my own for like nearly nine hours after just being told that Chloe had been found obviously not alive, sort of thing. And, um, and, and, that, you and know, that, that's a lot, and that's why JCCC is there, so yeah. you can get that support at point of yeah. trauma, yeah, and they can help you yeah. through it. So, yeah, I was told I was going to have a chaperone on the flight, somebody will come back with me, and, and I never did. Um, and then we lived in Haverford West. She was in a flat because uh, she was 19 at the time. And then um, I got to Heathrow. When I got off the flight, I was expecting the welfare, the regimental welfare to be there, support me, take me down to Haverford West, uh, support me in, in, in what I had needed to do down there and stuff like that. But the welfare spent about literally two minutes with me. Am I all right? Uh, right, here you are. There's a driver for you. Um, the driver will drop you off in Hanford West. So I spent four and a half hours from Heathrow to South West Wales with a couple of young lads, drive, one 
driving us, the music playing in the in the car. And when I got to Haverford West, they just dropped me off at the side of the road and that was it, left us. No welfare support, no nothing sort of thing. So obviously I was obviously at the time I was I was numb. I didn't know where I was or what I was doing. So I was just going with the flow, if you know what I mean. I was I was floating. Um and I, I look at it, I look at it, I look at it this way. I, I had to go. Well, actually, it was my mum and dad. My mum and dad lived up here in Newton Aycliffe, up north in Newton Aycliffe, and they were the ones that took the call that Chloe had been found dead. And they were the ones that called my wife. My wife's not Chloe's mum. My wife, my, Chloe's mum's my first wife. But um, my mum and dad drove for eight hours from Newton Aycliffe. You know, sixty odd year old drive all the way down to the hospital to ID Chloe's body because her mum wouldn't do it, sort of thing. So, and that's what happened. And then I obviously I come back, and and uh, I had to go to the hospital. I wanted to go to the hospital to see her, um, and 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 um, that's what I did. I went. I went to see her. Uh, obviously, you know, seeing your own child lifeless. Um, lying there in a bed with a, a a little blanket over her is is enough to stick with you for the rest of your life, which it does with me. And I always say to somebody, you know, I always say to people, if you not if you don't understand what it exactly is, I always say, sit with your eyes closed for thirty seconds, yeah, and when you wake up, your child's not there anymore. And, and, and try and think like that that your child that's there when you wake up that child's gone and you'll never see that child again and that's you know that's how I can only give people a little example of how it feels um, sort of thing um, so yeah I mean I spent three and a half months off work um, I mean it was difficult I had to organise Chloe's funeral because a man wasn't very good at organising stuff so I organised the funeral, everything, um, the coroner, the inquest. You know, I went to the inquest uh, quite a few months later because it take, takes a while. Um, and, yeah, it was hard to either the, the, the guy in the inquest, he, 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 his exact words were, um, uh, yeah, Chloe Bygate did kill herself. Um, and you know, uh, I went. I, I sat there. I went in my uniform so I could look a little bit more, sort of like professional, sort of thing. Um, and, and yeah, so I went to the inquest. I managed to get Chloe's mobile phone and her iPod, which getting a phone was re- uh, her iPod was really pleasing because she had like eight hundred odd songs on there, and I would play the songs that she listened to on a playlist. Um. And like I said, I was off for three and a half months. Um, I had no one visit me from from the army to see how I was, um, which was wasn't ideal because you're supposed to get Wismis visits every week, every so every so many weeks or so many days. You're supposed to get Wismis visits, which I never did. Um, and then I, eventually, I, I, I got. Uh, I went in to see the OC, and we just got a new OC. He was South African, uh, not that it matters, but he was South African. Um, and I said to him, "I says I want to come back to work. I want to throw myself back into work and try and keep my mind off things, sort of thing." 
Um, and, I, and I did. And, I, and, and, and uh, I just kept myself busy. And I went on exercises up to Otterburn, what a cold place Otterburn is. Um, um, uh, yeah, so I went on exercises, come back off exercise, but I was having a hard time with my own mental health at the time. And it was affecting my marriage and so on and so forth. Um, and um, yeah, so the, the squadron was supposed to go to Germany on exercise, and I, I had to go to D, do you remember? Do you know what DCMH is? It's like the mental health side of military. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I went. I've seen a counselor, psychologist for four years, and then they came up with a care plan. And when I was at the care plan, the psychiatrist said that I wasn't allowed to go to Germany on exercise, and it didn't. I don't think it, personally. I don't think it went fit, fitted well with the OC. Um, and it was only a couple of weeks later, I got called into the OC's office, and he said, um, "Well, you've done such a good job, Glasgow. Are gonna um, Glasgow are moving you early. So you've done such a good job as the ammo sergeant. We're gonna move you early." And I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Oh yeah, you're going into the intelligence job in RHQ." So there's not what I could have done about it. It was basically making the mind up. The one. Because I was non-deployable, I felt as though I was pushed out, um, and I went into the in, in, uh, intelligence job. Um, but while I was doing this, I was I took a bit I took a, a bit of charity work. So I thought, well, you know, how can I? I got involved in like child bereavement UK, SOBS, which is survivors of bereavement by suicide, and I just thought I wanted to give back for on the Legion as well because actually the Legion were amazing for me. They stepped in where the army failed to support us. They had welfare come round my house. They organised two poppy breaks for the family. We went away on, on, on holiday, like a couple of holidays. Um, I wanted to do a bit of fundraising, so I, I went. I, I cycled from one side of the country to the other. That was the first bit. Then I did the Brighton Marathon, and then two weeks later I did the London Marathon. Uh, then I did the Great North Run for the Legion, uh, and then I just kept, I just kept going. And, and the last couple of events I did was uh, I did the, I did the sixty-two mile ultra marathon for survivors of bereavement by suicide. And two weeks later, I did the Great North Run, and then um, about two days later, my body just gave in. It would, it, I think, all of the last so many months and. And uh, sort of like a couple of years after Chloe had passed away, my body just gave up, and I, and I could I, not not dealing with it psychologically. Or it was the issue I had. The psychologist said that you've delayed your grief. You've had your mind on something else. Potentially, you should have been not should have because there's no right or wrong way. There's no real way. Of there, there's it, not but, a right or wrong way to grieve, but yeah, you were not given. The support you needed to process, you you were you, you were failed, you were yeah. failed by your unit. That's disgusting. I've I've been sat here listening, to you, mate, and it it's making me angry. Yeah, I never. Not... I, I didn't get any guidance of where I should be and what should I, I should be doing. And you know, um, you know, the hardest thing was for me is, um, you know, to you put in it in the intelligence job. And there was no intelligence officer at the time, so I was in a little office on my own for months and months, and I festered and I festered away. 
and things were playing on my mind because I didn't have anyone to talk to hardly. You know, I was in this these four walls. And then and then unfortunately we had a young medic uh on camp at watch and he took his own life um a couple of years after Chloe. And the colonel come in and he says, Oh, I just want to let you know because of Chloe and the links and stuff like that, this is what's happened. And, and I thought and, and I thought not being tra- I, I said I, I said to myself, I've not been treated right. So I want to do something to change it. So I wanted to I wanted to ju- transfer to the Army Welfare Service. So I went away actually. I, I, I had to go through a really hard selection process in interviews. And um, I think they were a little bit dubious about letting me on the course because I was actually suffering at the time. Um but I did get accepted on the course, and, I, and it was a nine-month course, and I did, I did, I did eight months of it, and, and I couldn't do any more. I actually came off the course after eight months. But I was before I went on that course, I was in that intelligence role for about six months, and then my psychologist, my psychologist came on the camp, um, and they had like a care plan with a CEO, a padre. The OC, welfare, and my psychologist, and they all sat round and agreed that I shouldn't be in the intelligence job. I need to be moved. I need to be moved back to a flying squadron. Uh, and the, 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 they all agreed that I would be moved. But from that day, they agreed that I should be moved. I sat in that same job for like 12 months in the same place, even though they said I should have been moved. So, uh, but luckily, luckily for me, I, I got through the interview. Um, did the course, which was really powerful course, because you know you you're learning how to 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 sort of like help people with um, you know anything to do with welfare, you know people's bereavements, people's money problems, support, marriage problems. But at, at the end of the di- at the end, it got it all got a bit too much of me trying to deal with my own demons and trying to help other people. So I came back to Watsham, and where did they put me when I come back? into an intelligence job in a flying squadron in a little office on my own. And um, I, I, I just flipped. I, I just flipped. Uh, I walked out of my office. I went uh, straight to the medical med centre. The doctor seen me. Uh, he put me on, have you heard of, you've heard of metazapine? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely knocks you out. Yeah, and, and I put, I, I got put on metazapine and it was like, it was like somebody had injected something into me that it made you feel superhuman it, well it made me feel superhuman it made me like uh but um when but i flipped and i and then i i, I didn't take my life at one point and um so they put me in a i went to peterborough to the edith cavell hospital in the psychiatric ward and i spent two weeks in there um and and obviously looking at some of the other people that were in there I was like, I shouldn't be in here. I shouldn't be in here. But um, there was, a, there was a, a section of it was just for military. So I went into the military bit. Uh, it was only the bedrooms that were for military, and there was a TV. But you still hit with all of the other patients and stuff. Um, and from that day on, I never went back to work in the army. I was P zero, which was um, uh, wounded, sick, and injured at home permanently. And I, I must have spent about. In a rough guess, I must have spent about nine, ten months at home before I went, uh, got called in, and I had to sit with a, 
uh, the guy, the colonel who does the med board, um, and, and, and told him that my feeling towards the army. I got really angry towards the army at the end, at the end of, the, of the lack of support and the treatment that, that I didn't receive and should have received. And, you know, um, people not really telling the truth, you know, when especially when someone said to me, the, the OC at the time said to me, oh, you, Glasgow have said you've done such a good job. They're going to move you early. And I'm like, Glasgow don't ring up and say that. They wouldn't have known that because Glasgow's in Glasgow. I'm in Washington. not monitoring what they were doing. They, they were just trying to move the problem rather than actually dealing with it and giving you support. It's a, it's a, well, it's a well-known fact, and as, as harsh as this sounds, and especially under your circumstances, Trev, yeah. but families to the armed forces, the army in particular, are excess, are excess baggage. Yeah. That's... That's all families yeah. are. If if it causes an issue with you doing your job, they are quite happy yeah. to move you somewhere else. Yeah. Pass pass it on to somewhere else. Yeah. If the way you be the way you were treated, mate, that's fucking out that's out of fucking order. It's outrageous. Uh, Actually it's, outrageous. I am the same as you, mate. I'm I'm raging at this. It's it, it the hardest thing is is that um if if the army had treated me how they should have treated me and give me the welfare and care that I should have had, I might have been in a better place. But the anger that I built up towards the army, it, it that overtook my grief. The anger built up and it overtook the, the way I was thinking. I should have been grieving for my own child. I should have been thinking about it, but I wasn't. I was angry at the army. I was I was agitated in everything I did, and and you know it got in. It got in, it got in the way of my, my my marriage and and my, my kids. I've got two other kids that, that that live with me, and you know they've seen me go through hell and you know pop medication after medication and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, would I say I'm in a better place now? No, because as you know, you've seen on social media, I'm going to do the CBT, uh, which I've got twelve sessions with walking with wounded. Which is really good, yeah. um, uh, but I still don't think I'm any. I don't feel any further forward than the 30th of April 2014 when Chloe died. Uh, I, I don't. I, honest to God, that's my honest to God's truth. That you know, I, I, I've got a good job, and you know, I did two and a half years in the border force. But even in the border force, I had two weeks off because uh, of the, the the way it was affecting us and stuff like that. Do you mind me asking why Chloe committed suicide? Um, when she if was you young... don't want to talk about it, but... uh, When she was younger, she had her own... When they moved, they moved from... from they used to live around the corner from... And then my first wife moved to Haverford West, which basically like six hours from here. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Pembroke. Yeah, and, and and the hardest thing for that was moving so far away took away my parental responsibilities. I didn't have that chance to be a father because you know I could only see them. I could only see them uh, in uh, school holidays. Um, and Chloe went there, and she's you know she suffered with a divorce. I think she suffered with separation and not not having a father figure around to to guide her. Um, and like I said, she came to Germany with us because. Um, she the last the last twelve months of the schooling, uh, if I remember right, I was told Jessica, my other daughter, uh, uh, Chloe, and some of her friends. Chloe 
didn't go to school a couple before our exams at school and I wrote her a letter from Germany. I said, oh, look, I want you to go to school, get these exams. So she did. Uh, she went She went into school on the day of the exams and she passed four, but she wanted to go to uni and she needed five. So I invited her to Germany and I did. She came to Germany and she, she loved it. She flew to Amsterdam airport, um, picked her up from the airport. Um, but she, she had a, she did, she did have, she had self-harmed quite a bit, uh, and a lot of what she went through, I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't find out until she passed away. Um, she'd been in CAMS, CAMS as a child and adolescent mental health services. Yeah. She'd, been, yeah. she'd been under them. I never knew about that because um, certain people didn't tell me. Um, and so when you know she, she got to a stage in her life. You know, she wasn't a, an angel herself. You know, she got involved with cannabis. Um, it's quite. She was, a, she was a teenager, mate. She was. Uh, yeah. She was a typical teenager. And I'm not. I'm not being funny as well. I'm. I'm from. I'm from that area. I'm from Pembroke Dock. Yeah. There's not a lot to do around there. It's, there's not a lot to do around there. And she got involved with cannabis, but then I, I, I learned a lot after she died that, you know, I, I, I got because I got a mobile phone after the inquest and it wasn't locked and I got in it. And I learned that obviously a lot of the kids down there had been sharing tramadol and Valium, so on and so forth. And I think she was just at a point where she wanted to go to uni with her friends. After she after she finished in Germany, she said, I want to go back to Hanford West to go to uni with my friends. Unfortunately, she was already a year behind her friends, so she didn't get into uni. She wanted to study online. She worked in Holland and Barrett. She Got in behind a little bit in a rent, uh, so obviously she thought you know the money issues that was on top of her and stuff, and um, you know they hadn't heard from her for a little while, and obviously a mum had worried about her, sent the police around to her flat, but um, the she'd put a fridge in front of her front door uh, in the flat, and when the police broke in and stuff like that, she was just lying. On the on the floor in the living room with a pillow and, and a, um, a little blanket over her, um, and with, with obviously stick next to her and stuff. And she'd, she'd taken an overdose um, at, the, at the time. Um, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to nobody knows what she was thinking. The only person that knows is her. Um, Sometimes I think it might have been a cry for help. Um, the issue we had was when I did a lot of research and I, I went to see the doctors after, I went to see the police, I went to see CAMS. I learned that Chloe was only six stone when she died. She'd not been eaten properly. And she took, she took, a, she took, she must have took quite a few paracetamol. Uh, but being only six stone, her body wasn't strong enough to combat it. If it was somebody like me, a grown man, and I took similar, I might have been able to survive. Um, you might have had kidney issues or whatever it is that, that you get. Uh, well, I, I can tell you from taking lots of tablets and opioids and things like that, it does it does seriously affect you, yeah. the way you eat and how much you eat. And yes. if, if she was taking stuff like tramadol on yeah. a regular basis, which again is highly, highly addictive, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It is going to affect uh, the way she eats and the nutrition and stuff like that. And oh, man. Yeah. So it's, it's, 
when, when we had the inquest and the coroner's report came back, it was uh, it was it's a weird thing to say, but I was she didn't have any anything in her system, didn't have any cannabis or anything in her, in her system, no other drugs. The only thing they found was paracetamol and enough for one Valium pill. That was it. So I think at the time she obviously decided to do what she did and use the Valium to sleep and never wake up again. Um, that's something I've got to deal with. And, you know, like I said, it's hard because I don't feel I'm really further forward. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes it, it doesn't feel like, it, it does feel like that, but sometimes I don't come across as it like that because you wear a mask. You know, I've done loads of charity events now. I've run six marathons and ultra marathons, cycled all over the country, and you know, I've done this, that, and the other. But uh, I, I do it all for her. You never do anything for yourself. You do it all for her. Um, but the other—it was only the other week, I think, I said that for 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 the first time since she passed away, I decided I needed to do something for me, and that was when I reached out to get this CBT. Because I was yeah. I was sick of the way I was feeling. You know, I can be, I can be, I can talk to you guys, have fun, have a laugh, and stuff like that. But then I'm like Jekyll and Hyde, and it's like I'm I'm like a different person. I like I can I can be a grumpy shit. <laughs> you know, I can be miserable. I can be angry. I can be aggressive. I can be. Trev, it's not it's not you. It that's not just you, mate. That that's all of us. And yeah, we all have that. You know, we yeah. we we've, we spoke we spoke about this privately. You know, what I mean, and I know Mick as well. And we, you know, we all have were moments where we all wear we all wear masks, buddy. Yeah. And we all we all need time to ourselves and just to get away from people. And like you said, you you need that uh, you need that time to spend that time alone with Chloe. You know, yeah. and we see what we see what you put up on Facebook, and we can't, we I say we know what you're going through. We'll never know what you're going through, but we know how much you grieve. Yeah. And you know, I mean, all I can say, mate, is what you do, what you have done, is incredible. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to put a positive spin on it. That's, no, all, you, that's I, all you. That's all you can do, mate. And, and you've taken you've taken the biggest step. It's what you don't yeah. you, you don't realize it yet, but just that that very first step of, I need help for me. Yeah. That 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 is massive. And yeah. I'll, I'll say it how, because I've never heard this before, but the way Chris put it to me last night when he was on about his issues, he, he explained yeah. it like, a, like a, a pint glass. Yeah. And over the years, little things get poured into it. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't empty some of that out, you're just going to hit a point. And, yeah. And, That's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it's been like. You know, I've got this... Uh, we actually learned very, something very similar on the welfare course, uh, Mick, and it was when you had a, a, a person you were dealing with, you would have a big whiteboard and you would draw up on the whiteboard a big water bucket with yeah. a tap on it, and the water would fill up, and when it got too much, it would overflow. Yeah. You had to learn, you had to learn when to empty that tap a little bit, um, and that's that's where I've got to do at the moment, you know. I'm, you know, my I think Chloe every second of the day, you know, I've got a tattoo on my arm now that I got in Vegas. You know, I, 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 most of my passwords have got a name in it. Nearly every password I've got for everything has got a name in it. So every time I do log in and do stuff and bank and all that sort of stuff, 
I say her name. Do we know how to get into your grinder account? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I've, I'm, 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 you know, I want to help other people. So I did my mental health first aid course. I did my course, which is applied suicide intervention skills training, which is a really powerful course, but it teaches you a little bit how to deal with someone if they come up to you and say, "I'm going to take my own life," sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a seven. I'm doing a doing a two month basic level two counselling course at the moment. I'm halfway through that, um, and I, and it's just trying to put a really bad, heavy, traumatic negative of my life and having a positive spin off it. Yeah, and and, and, and absolutely, and, and do not take this the wrong way, right? Yeah. Take a step back from it all while you yeah, do your CBT, yeah. mate. Just yeah, look look out, look after you, you because yeah. you're. you're you're doing exactly what you've explained to us already. You're keeping yeah. yourself so busy because yeah. you don't you don't want to stop and think. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you need to you need to take a break. You know you know we're here for you. And honestly, um, I've just finished my first bout of CBT yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got to do a three month consolidation. Then I have the next twelve sessions. Um, yeah. But it's it's been fantastic. It will yeah. it will help you. I, I cannot tell you it's going to be easy. Because it's not. Yeah. They are going to dig deep. You're going to talk about things you don't want to talk about. But yeah. you've, you know, you've got to get there. Um, and, yeah. and, and I'm sure yeah. you will. You, you're one of the fucking kindest blokes I've ever met, mate. It's like it's like a, it's like where I work. Even where I work in HMRC, I've started. I've for the last eight months, I do my own tea and talk sessions, and and I, I provide all the coffee and the biscuits, and I, I invite everybody along. And we talk about anything subject, about anxiety, about bereavement, about career, talk about uh, pressures of work. Um, but like you said, it's once when the CBT starts, I think I, would, I just want to give it my 100%. Um, and it'll be difficult to do that if I'm doing 10 other different things sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah um, and that's yeah, you, put them, you know, you put them on the back burner and concentrate on you, mate. Don't obviously throw them away. Don't forget yeah. about them. But just for that time, yeah, yeah. During them sessions and obviously the time in between them, the time where you've got to think, they're going to ask you to do things. Concentrate on yeah. you, mate. And what what you've yeah. been through will make you, once you've had time to deal with it properly. It is going to make yeah. you make you you will make such a good counsellor. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you know. I, I lean. I, I sort of when I'm talking to people, I lean on my own experience sometimes. But I'm but I'm very wary that um, when you're talking to somebody and you're listening to their issues and stuff like that, that I'm not wanting to take other people's problems on. It's it's, it's, I think it's called vicarious trauma, isn't it? Where somebody else can talk about their issues and then you it's you soak it in. You yep. soak all their issues in and then you're taking it on. And, yep. and that's, what I say, that's what I say at the end of all my tea talk sessions that I ask everybody what they're going to do for self-care. And, you know, I speak about confidentiality and I speak about, you know, when you go home, try not to think about what we spoke about. And take a step back and, you know, have a wine, have a jog, read. So basically, what you're saying is you need to take your own advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Because at some, at some point, you'll be talking to somebody who, when you're sat at home having your tea or having a cup of tea when you finish work, you're still thinking of them and their problems in your head and how you can sort them out. Yeah, yeah. So, you're, so you've now taken their problems on as well as yours. And as harsh as it sounds, when you walk out of that door, you've got to leave that problem there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and like you said, that's that's how, and it's it's a brutal, brutal thing to say, you know. I mean, but I think that's how psychologists and people like that deal with it. They, they well, don't look, take the work home because you, you couldn't do it because you'd nah. just go mental. You'd go mad, wouldn't you? Uh, that was my little issue when I was still serving and I went to DCMH for like four and a half years constant every month I sometimes felt that the I got I wouldn't say too close to the um, psychologist but we got we got too involved she got too involved a little bit in what I was going through and I I, I sometimes felt as though I was a bit of a guinea pig because it's not many people in the army who have a child take their own life and it was you know it's very rare so I'm thinking, is am I was I being a bit of a guinea pig to how to deal with it and see how I would recover and 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 that was it. I, actually, that was one of the worst things. Is when I when I went through my med board and I was medically discharged. That was it. I was discharged from DCMH and see you later. I went yeah. I went into the NHS, sort of like hit hit in the ground and. Yeah. Um, can, I ask, can I ask Trev well, with your medical discharge? Was was it on mental health grounds? First question. Pete, for, for yeah, so sorry, so near the end of my time with a psychologist, they diagnosed me with they said complex PTSD, but I don't know if it was right or not. Uh, I don't know if it's because it's a complex case or you know, so. But um, yeah, so I was medically discharged for complex PTSD, but also I had my knee injury as well, which um, that that went down on me med board as well. So Good. the new. Medical, medical. So, and my second, my second question is: Have the army taken responsibility <laughs> for your PTSD? Um, so, what I did is I obviously left the army, got loads of advice from the colonel, which was really nice. The one that did me set on the med board, and he said you need to do this, this and this. So, I, so. I, so I went through uh, the war pensions for my knee because I'd done it before 2005, I think Five, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then for my PTSD, I went through the Armed Forces Compensation. And um, the, basically the army was like, no, your PTSD is nothing to do with us. You know, your daughter took her own life and that was it sort of thing. So they washed the hands of it. Um, then, I, then I've uh, I sort of like... Um, I, I, I what was the word? What my word? I, I sort of challenged that, yeah. and then I heard, I heard through the Robich Legion that um, it, you can. Sorry, I'm just going to plug my phone in because I don't want it to die. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, you can do what it's called, um, and how the army made it work. Sorry. Yeah, so um, I spoke to the Legion and they mentioned worsening. So I've got a tribunal coming up on the 20th of um, September. And I've got to prove to the people who you sit in front of that, yes, the army were the, the, the big reason, weren't the main why 
I'm not in the army anymore and I've got PTSD because I understand it. And I'm not daft. I do understand that death has played a massive part. But I I reckon if I was treated right, I was cared for right, and, I, and, and all the things that they yeah, did the wrong. Care, the care I, wasn't put in place for you to have there when you needed it. You developed those uh, I, problems due to the lack of care. Yeah, yeah, the, the anger, the the the, the agitation, the yeah. everything. But you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not being able to concentrate on my grief because the army made me angry because of the lack of support and care. That I, I still think if I was cared for properly, I was supported by welfare, this, that, and the other. I reckon I still would have been serving in the army. I still would have had a career. I think it, I'm ninety percent or eight percent certain of that. Obviously, the psychiatrist. Um, you know, the psychologist thought otherwise and, and stuff. But yeah, it's just a, a long, it's a tiring journey to be on. And, you know, you get fed up sometimes. Sometimes you do think that. I don't, I never think of like physically taking me on life because I wouldn't. I've got a wife here and two amazing kids that, uh, you know, uh, that are am- uh, uh, amazing. My son's off to uni in September and. Uh, Talia's just done year 10 and she's just got loads of really good um, sevens and eights and stuff like that. Um, but you do, it does cross your mind sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you've got, you've got active, passive, you've got active and passive suicidal thoughts and mine are just passive. I just think about it and I'm thinking, you know, I, sometimes I think in 10 minutes I could be with Chloe. That's how I think. In yeah. 10 minutes I could, be, uh, I could be back with her. And it's 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 often the little thoughts that e- even when you know, so, and some people won't get it, some people will not get it. But even thoughts when you just you just sit there and you just say, "I wish I wasn't here anymore." Yeah, you know, I know. I know. it's we 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 all get that. We all we all feel that. Um, the drive the driving down the road, seeing a lorry come the other way or something, and you think, just turn the wheel. Yeah, yeah. We've, we all. Yeah, but I, I know that. I know that in my head, I, you, you sometimes think it, but you never, you know that that, you know, Chloe wouldn't, she wouldn't want that yeah. of me. Um, she's, you know, I, I, I'm, I do what I do because she inspires me to do what I do to help other people, so other people don't have to go through what she went through. You know, she felt alone and unsupported and didn't have anywhere to turn, and I, and I want to be able to make people realise that they have got somewhere to turn and. And they have got people support, and you know that's what I'm trying to achieve. And I, you know, I'll, I'll get there one day. But yeah. like Mick said, like Mick said, get the CBT done and concentrate on that for a bit. Um, um, yeah, so that's that's sort of where I am at the minute. You know, you're uh, yeah, you're you're smashing, and, it, and it's you know it's it's progress, mate. And yeah. I want to just take you to to Vegas quickly with with sport. Yeah. Um, you, you've clearly used sport as a coping mechanism. Or I say yeah. coping mechanism. You've not really been coping. You've been blocking. But yeah. when we were out in Vegas, was it, forgive me if I get the name, is it papyrus? Papyrus. Papyrus. No, which is prevention of young suicide. Yeah. Um, can, can can you just give us a? Can you tell us about? Because obviously you're you do fundraising for them. You're trying yeah, yeah. to ra- raise awareness for that charity. And again, we'll we'll get the link in this as well. 
um, just so people can I mean, learn more about it. Yeah, the virus is the national uh, charity prevention of human suicide because the, the 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 highest cause of deaths for under thirty fives is suicide in the UK. Um, the you you have on average you have on average four two hundred school aged children take their own life per year. That's that that was four a week. On average, four a week, kids in school take their own life. And they're they they have just they, so they've been around for quite a few years now, but they've got the hope line, which has just actually the last few weeks gone twenty four hours. So it's similar to the Samaritans, but it's open to anybody to ring up. It could be me, you, a child, it could be a professional, or a doctor. They ring up hope line. Um, you do fundraise. Have you seen on the news three dads walking? Yes. So they're three guys who all lost their daughter, teenage daughter, to suicide, and they decided to walk the breadth, the length and breadth of the country, and, and they take it to Parliament to try and get some form of suicide prevention on the school curriculum. So it'll 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 give the kids the confidence and the bravery to, if they ever feel like that, to come forward to a school teacher or to come forward to a, a pastoral service within school and say, "Look, I'm not feeling great." I'm I'm feeling suicidal. And then I, in the ideal world, so I've done the assist course, which teaches me how to deal with someone who comes up to me and says, I'm feeling suicidal. I would like every teacher, everybody that works in the education department to have done the assist course. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's Papyrus. They do great. I, I do, I'm a Papyrus champion, so I do talk to them about the presentation, about what they do and you know how they support people. There's loads of resources they've got. Um, they do um, they do other presentations. They do the one I do is a thirty minute presentation. They've got another one that says ninety minutes, and another one that's about three and a half. And it goes into suicide and suicide prevention a lot more deeper. Um, and it was great when we were out in Vegas that I brought the, flag, the little flag with us, and um, it was nice to get the picture in front of the. Was it an F sixteen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To get that out there, um, I wear the wristband every day. Uh, where Chloe, I've got another wristband that says "Father of an Angel," and I've wore that ever since she passed away. And I've got about six or seven of them spared, just in case it snaps. Uh, so yeah, that's papyrus. They're really, really good. It give me, it, they've given me a focus. I've met three dads walking at Westminster when they finished them. The main of a million quid. You say um, the three dads walking one. You done a you done a fantastic podcast with them, didn't you? Was it second second episode, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was the second episode. Unfortunately, one of the dads couldn't be there because he was sick. Um, but it was nice to it was it was powerful to hear them talk about losing their child. You know, um, I know one of the dads had lost a child in COVID, and you know the issues with COVID and not being able to have so many going to the funeral and. And stuff like that, but they're mega brave to be able to. I, I even said to them on the podcast, I said, You've it's like me talking to them, it's like you talking to me. I said, You've got to allow yourself time to grieve. And they've gone straight in, they're doing hundreds of walks, this, that, and the other. They're probably not Listen really. Listen to what you're telling people. They're probably not, they're probably not thought of grieving properly yet. You know what I mean? Sort of thing. So, what you, what you talk, what you've been talking about today. And listening to those guys on your podcast, I know how much you've inspired them. 
yeah. how they've took from you. Because they, yeah. they see you, because I remember one line in particular that you said, you're, you're sort of 14 years into your journey, yeah. whereas they're, they're relatively new. And you can, you've yeah. got so much more advice and love yeah, to, to give them and pass on to them. Yeah, and I know I they that. see. I know they see you as an inspiration with that. So just remember that, man. Like you said, what you've done uh, is incredible. Yeah. yeah, I remember saying them words. I said, "Look, yeah. you know, Chloe died nine years ago now, and I said I've managed to build up a sort of body armor, and I can lean yeah. into each pouch if I want to. You know, if I need to lean into a pouch where it gives me uh, support to talk to other people, I'll go into that. And yeah. you know, when I when I feel tearful, I'll go into the, a different. And and it's it, and it, and it's it's all like that, really. You know, um, and I said you've you've got to allow yourself something. And I said if if you ever need any advice or support or a, a word, then just give me a shout, sort of thing. Sorry, my falling off. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the CBT. I'm, I'm pleased it's working for you, Mick, and, and that gives me a little bit of confidence that it, that it will work. It uh, will. It will. You, you've just got to give yourself to it. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. Done, I've done CBT before, and believe me, it works. Um, and try and yeah. try and block out. Work on Try and block yeah. out negativity. Just, get, just throw yourself in from anybody, not not just your own thoughts, because that's going to come with time. But you know, be be proud of what you're doing. And if people want to stick a boot in, I'm not being funny, but they ain't your friends, yeah. mate. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. I've I've lost a few people off Facebook because they, you know, they. I thought I thought they were my friends, but they just they almost don't like to see me make progress. Yeah, um, yeah, and that—that's the problem with social Down, media. Downers, yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, but Trev, yeah. thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Um, it's done, it's not an easy one. Um, you've got through it, and um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's important for me to be able to talk about it because it, I don't want it to be the elephant in the room. And now I think I'm hoping that somebody will listen to what I have to say and they might see it positive in there. And and, and, and if it helps one person, then I've helped. And that'll do me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well yeah. Done, but yeah, well done. Um, thank you for, for listening to the podcast. Uh, like I said, yeah. there will be there will be links in the... Um, in the description to sort of various charities, Trev's podcast, yeah. where you can go listen to that fantastic podcast with the three dads walking. Um, and we'll throw in some extra support links and stuff as well. But uh, thank you very much and uh, good night. Yeah, thank you.